Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, everyone. Bible reading will be taken from the book of James, James 5, 7 to 20. After reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you respond with thanks be to God. James 5, 7 to 20. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in, face of, in the face of sovereign, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else, all you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them, raise them up if they have sinned they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sin to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person, powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being as we, as, as we, as even, I beg your pardon. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the wrong of their way will save them from death and cover over a multiple multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tunde. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we want to now commit the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts. Uh, may they be acceptable to you, O Lord and our Redeemer. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, and let Jesus, let Jesus alone be exalted. Amen. Now, as I said uh, earlier, this is um, our last of this series, Gospel 
community. And in this series, we um, have been looking at how the gospel works out practically, basically. James is a very, very practical person. And he wrote this book with that in mind. And he was really looking at how if you truly confess to be a person of the gospel, here are some of the actions that the gospel works, uh, that, would, um, the, that would imply that you are that kind of person. Because he says, really, faith without works is dead. He's not saying that you are saved by works, but he's saying that if you are saved by faith, that faith is going to produce works necessarily. And so in that, in the community, he has shown us that a community which has the gospel at the center would be a religious community. It would be an impartial community, a peacemaking community, a gracious one, and a just one. And today we look at the last one. Now, I don't know how many of us growing up ever heard this phrase. A word is enough for the wise. You know the funny thing about that phrase is that most of the time when that phrase was uttered, it was uttered after an instruction that has been given to you more than one time. Isn't it? Like, Toki, let me now tell you, if you like, continue to keep bad gangs. Bad people that you will eventually become a drug pusher. We will disown you. You will not make any money. You'll be begging. A word is enough for... Now, Toki had that instruction last week. By implication, Toki is not wise. Because if they are telling you again, and a word is enough for the wise, and they are... So essentially, you know, our parents always grew up... Uh, um, we grew up under parents that never thought we were wise. But they kept telling us that a word is enough for the wise. And James here is actually treating us like our parents. Because what he does is that there are a number of themes that he's actually looked at, you know, in the beginning, somewhere in the middle, and he's bringing them again kind of towards the end. For instance, how do people react to suffering? It kind of appears here again. How do we use our tongue, our speech? It appears here again. And how do we, you know, not walk in sin? And finally, you know, living in reality of eternity. All of those things kind of come again. But don't forget, these are James' parting words. And you know how parting words are, normally. They're often brief. So it's like a dying man. He may have many things to say, but often you see, what do they do if their wives are there? What do they say? I love you. Brief. Or if you are like my dad, anytime he dropped me off at school, because of the school fees he had to pay, he'll say, remember the son of who you are. Very brief, parting words. And James' own, in trying to tie all these things together, is very brief as well. Be patient. Verse 7. Be patient. Now, again, let's not forget, James is focused on how the virtue of patience shapes community. He's not just saying Festus, be patient. But Festus, as a member of the Christian community, the church that he is in, he's telling uh, uh, Festus, he's telling Diamond, he's telling Temisan, you guys be patient. And don't forget that because you see the number of times in this very short passage that brothers and sisters appears. It appears four times. Verse 7, brothers and sisters. Verse 9, brothers and sisters. Verse 12, brothers and sisters. And verse 19. So how does patience then James' parting words, how does that work out in community? Because really, what he's going to show us is that a true gospel community 
is a patient community. Now, the way we're going to look at that is in three points. And the first is the opposite of patience, the demonstration of patience, and the reason for patience. The opposite of patience, the demonstration of patience, and the reason for patience. Now, look at this. Um, I, I have to confess to you here. I don't know how many of you have read these uh, verses before. This is probably the most difficult sermon I've had to prepare for because it has a it has just many verses that are like what 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 does this actually really mean? Or isn't this contradictory? There are so many things there, and I'm not going to promise you that I'm going to be able to solve all the questions. But there are some that are more difficult than others. And you think, what has patience, especially in verse 12? I remember reading this, and I'm like, what is this? What has patience got to do with not swearing? Above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear. Not by, not by heaven or earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. What is this verse doing here? Now, first of all, it's not, do not use vulgar language. It's not that. I'm sure some of you will be happy. Ah, you see, I can continue. Uh, beep, beep, beep. No. There are other places in scripture that can deal with that. But this isn't what he's saying here. Do you remember that advert um, of the guy that was taken to court? And I can't quite remember exactly what happened. Uh, but eventually, he was, he was accused of something. But he had a good defense lawyer, and he was acquitted. And when he now got, he had something to do with uh, Baba Blue, the sweet. And then when he came out, the guy said, ah, Baba Blue, I swear I don't go do that again. You remember that? Why do we swear? We swear to basically emphasize the truthfulness, or the, to intensify the emphasis of the truthfulness of a statement or an incident that we have actually expressed. That's why we swear. That's why in public courtrooms, they want to, and this one, because they want to bind you to it, right, they put, you, you take an oath. So this is like taking an oath. Now, but James is criticizing taking oaths. And in fact, it, he's criticizing it as though in this community, they were regularly taking oaths. Now, imagine Bola, as my friend, anytime Bola comes to meet me and I tell Bola something, that this thing happened at work or this is what my wife did, and I say, Bola, over on top of my, uh, on top of my, my grandmother's grave, Bola, I swear, you know, if this thing, uh, if, if I'm not telling the truth, let this one punish me. Let that one punish me. Every time Bola, I have to tell Bola something. What would that, if you are looking at that, what would that say? What would this say about me? That what? I'm what? Every time I don't use that, I'm lying. Therefore, what? Therefore, I'm not trustworthy. You can't really bank. In other words, I'm trying to emphasize to Bola that, look, this one is really true. Because anytime I don't use the oath, I'm lying. In other words, I'm not trustworthy. If you came into a community where people were regularly swearing just to emphasize a particular truth, what does that tell you that community lacks? It lacks trust. It lacks trust. There was a deficit of trust in this community. 
whether it's lack of trust among the members, among the leaders, between the leaders themselves or leaders and members, the result of it was impatience with one another expressing itself in grumbling. Verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers or sisters, or you will be judged. What is grumbling? Well, I wrote a small definition, I think, basically going through this passage. Grumbling is, and listen to it, because four words are important there. Grumbling is an impatient and divisive expression of frustration built on mistrust. An impatient and divisive expression of frustration built on mistrust. And James is saying, for communities, it won't be helpful. And don't get it wrong, there is a place to distrust certain communities. There are reasons not to trust. When certain individuals in the community or certain leaders have a track record of intentions and actions that do not inspire confidence. When certain systems that are there have proven over and again not to bring about good results, then you have no basis to trust. Now, James, obviously, by telling these guys not to go ahead to be grumbling, he's not, say, he's not presuming that in this, in this um, uh, community. Let me explain. Let me, let's explain this a little bit further. The Greek word used here for grumble is the Greek word stenazo. Now, the funny thing about this is that all the times it's used in the New Testament, stenazo is actually used in a positive, in a positive way, except in two places where it's used negatively, here and, 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 and our, um, in Hebrews, and I'll, and I'll quote that. But stenazo usually is not just in a positive direction, but actually most of the time in only one particular case. It is the word that is used, most oftentimes it's translated as groaning, is the word that is used when it talks about Christians who are anticipating what God is going to do in the new heavens and the new earth, but are frustrated about the way the world is. Romans 8, 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await, the eager, as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. In other words, when stenazo is directed towards God, God is the object of it, and not only is God the object of it, there is something that you are anticipating that God is going to do. The frustration that you are expressing towards God is an act of faith. It's an act of faith in a God that is able to complete what he started, but at the current moment you are not really enjoying the, 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 um, the, the length and the time and the circumstances of that weight. That's when it's directed towards God. The object is God. You know that he's going to work out his plan, but you are not sure when and as you are waiting, it causes some kind of angst, some kind of groan. But it then says, if you then direct stenazo towards one another, particularly because you are feeling pressures, just like those who are groaning, waiting for the redemption of their bodies are feeling pressures. When you direct it towards one another, that is when the object changes, 
that is actually not a good thing. In fact, James says that he leads, it eventually it becomes divisive there. Another person that speaks about this is Paul. Paul in uh, uh, Titus 3, verse 10 to 11, almost anticipating, because the language here, I was looking at this is really strong, when he says that the judge is standing at the door, don't do this or else you'll be judged, ah, just because of grumbling. And Paul says, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Or the other part where it is used negatively is in Hebrews 13, verse 17. In Hebrews 13, verse 7, the writer was giving them with parting words again. And he had said, ah, if you see leaders that have certain characters, imitate them. If they have a character that reflects Christ, imitate them. Like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Then later it then says, because you can imitate them, then you should obey them in verse 17. And it then says, do that in a way that will not enable them to, because they're going to give account for you. Let them not give it with grudge. Let me, let me quote it. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, Stenazo. For that will be of no benefit to you. So you see, as the word is being used in community, James is saying, if you give in to this, you are expressing some kind of impatience. Now, let me say this very, very carefully. And I kind of said this from the beginning. I've been part of divisive churches, for churches that have divided. Let me tell you one of the first things that made those churches divide. The first thing was what you call censorship. You know what I mean by censorship? If you don't like what is going on here, keep it to yourself. Some people would then take this particular verse and try to impose, they will take this, they will take Hebrews chapter 13, and say, you know what, you just have to follow the leadership on this. Keep it to yourself, and they censor. What eventually happens is that many times the community can be going astray in terms of the truth, in terms of practice, but because you have said, well, let us just, God has anointed this person. I was watching a video recently. The person said, hey, even if God wants to, even if God wants to correct the leaders in the church in Nigeria, is, are you God's king? In other words, the person said, keep quiet. He said, keep quiet. Don't talk. Let God deal with his servants. That's not what James is talking about here. Not grumbling is not saying that there should not be avenues for you to be able to express your concerns. Amen? Because the spirit of God that rests upon the leader, if the members are also true Christians, the spirit of God lives in them as well. The word of God that the leaders are studying, hopefully, if the members are trying to be good Christians, they're also studying that word. And if the leaders are reading good books, the members are also reading those good books. That's why I go to purchase those books. <laughs> You saw, you saw the plug coming. You saw, the, you saw it. So it is not saying that you should be censored. In fact, 
I would say this. There are, there are reasons from the outside not to trust again. There are genuine reasons not to trust. Again, if some of the leaders have not given you a track record of intentions and actions that are worthy of their trust, don't put your trust in them. If the system of the way the community is being run is so far away from the scriptures, then don't put your trust in it. If decisions that have been taken over and over and over again keep showing that these people are not capable of putting the right things, don't put your trust in it. What should you do? Express your concern. And if over and over and over again they keep being ignored and all of those things, there's one more thing you can do. It's called voting with your feet. Vote with your feet. So that's one reason, some reasons not to trust. However, as you hold them to account, it's important that you also need to be held up to account. Because it is not every time that you feel frustration that really there is a problem with the leaders or the system. Some of it could be, as I remember three weeks ago, I was talking with somebody that was, no, about a month ago, I was talking with someone. Okay, some of it could be, for instance, pressure at work, pressure in your marriage, pressure in your finances, or a personal hurt. About a month ago, someone wrote me after the end of, um, uh, of uh, one of our meetings. I got home, you know, I was about to take my nap, and I just checked my phone. And I have this long message like this. I thought that was enough. Then the second one, even longer, now came in. And you know, I, I, I don't know how to chat. My fingers are too large, whatever. So I just wrote to the person, I will see you later. Went to have my nap, because you don't go for meetings like that without having your nap. All right? Because even me then, at that point, I would stand out to the person because of other, other pressures. I go to the person's house. We speak about this particular issue for about two and a half hours, kind of going over and over and over again. The person will go come back to the same thing over and over again. We eventually get to a point where we sort of disagree. What eventually then happens for the next one and a half hours, we then talk about something that has nothing to do with it, something to do with the person's work. The person had dealt with that thing just before the person came to church. The person had dealt with that thing just before the person sent me the message. And the person was going to deal with that thing on Monday. In fact, by the time I got to the person's house, the person was on phone with somebody for about 20 minutes while I was there on that issue. Why do you think the person was grumbling? The person was feeling pressures from outside. And in the midst of that pressure, something happened in church that the person didn't like. But on a normal day without that pressure, that person would not have reacted that way. Do you understand? We also need to be aware of ourselves. Now, those pressures are genuine. This community was facing suffering. And James was well aware about what pressures can do. Don't take those pressures out on each other. If those ones, family, marriage, finances, and personal health, if those ones are, are, are legitimate, there are some other things you need to also check. It could be your own sin. It could be your own self-centeredness. It could be the fact that you're about to lose some kind of comfort, or it could be that you just prefer something in a particular way and it's not being done that way. 
Yeah, don't get me wrong. Again, I'm not saying that is the only reason why we can. I'm saying that before we go ahead and grumble, which again is an impatient and divisive expression of frustration built on mistrust, be sure to check all of these things. Because James says this is a deadly serious thing. How do we know that he's impatient? Well, normally when you grumble, what happens is this. Something happens, and you are not waiting to hear the other side of the story. A grumbling person is an impatient person because a grumbling person never, at that point, the way the thing is doing you, that's the way it must be. You don't think there could be a, it could there be a reasonable explanation for this thing that seemingly isn't right? Is there where I can wait? Let me, as my wife will often tell me, when if someone has annoyed me, the, my worst place is emails. It's, it's better not to receive an email from me, right? And so usually I'm very, very quick. And I was, every time I look at those emails, I feel like I'm very balanced. Like it's very balanced. I've not. I have expressed, you know, this Christ-like, but this person needs to be told. And. Because one day it really, really, I mean, it did damage to someone. So someone would tell me, write it so that you can vent. Nobody's there. Write it, but wait till tomorrow morning before you send it. No, 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 you don't understand. This one particular, I really need to send this one. Because look at, I'm sure, just send it tomorrow morning. What's there, right? Just send it. 9.5 times out of 10. I never, ever send it that way. It's like, ha, Femi, this is an atomic bomb. Because normally, it's not like I'm saying, you are so stupid. No, 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 no. It's the, the sarcasm and the stinginess that is there. Because at that point, in my rage, and I'll be telling myself I'm not angry. That's the worst part. So in that rage, I will write it because I think I'm thinking clearly. I will write it, and I'm about to send it. I sleep. I have my devotions in the morning. Everything is so clear. You start hearing the birds singing again. You look at it and you say, who is the monster that wrote this thing? But grumbling is an expression of impatience because it doesn't wait. It doesn't give the benefit of the doubt. Why? Because there is no trust. As a community of God's people, many of us have Christ-like concerns. Legitimate Christ-like concerns. Don't undermine the legitimacy of those Christ-like concerns by expressing them in an unchrist-like way. Don't, for the sake of something that you feel in the community is important to address, to then bring about division in the community. Don't look for somebody else and say, can you see what's going on? And say, hey, that's true. That's how that, that one too was. And that's how, and then there's division, whereas, what are you meant to do? A patient person would wait, probably speak to someone, or try to look for channels to express those concerns. Why? Because ultimately, the unity of the community under God is what's most important. Amen? Don't grumble. Don't stenazo one to another. The second thing want to look at is the demonstration of patience. If, that is, if grumbling leads to that, then what is the demonstration of patience? 
Remember, impatience built on mistrust leads to grumbling. Then patience in that regard, if impatience built on mistrust leads to certain actions, then patience, which is built on trust, would lead to community building gospel action. Now, I'm very careful, I'm very, very particular about that because quite often, the only way we think about patience is in a passive sense. Take, for instance, in Ephesians 4, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Bearing is, in some sense, a passive thing. Right? You bear with one another. Why do I allow that? Why is it that immediately I'm not coming against that person? I want to be patient. God may be doing some work in that person. I remember myself. I remember how long it took me to mature to this. So I'm going to bear. This person said this. With somebody else, who much is given, much is required. With somebody else, I could speak to them in a straightforward manner. But with this person, I'm going to take some time. So I bear it. Now, in that regard, patience we see as passive. But that's not the only way to think about patience. We look at the example he gives us. He says in verse 7, after he gives the instruction, he says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Now, let me ask you something. When the farmer is waiting, right, is it because he hasn't done anything? If rain just falls on your soil, all of a sudden, apple trees will just start coming up, have Because you could speak to the soil. No, what did the farmer do before he started to wait? He tilled the soil, tilled the ground, and then he, he chose, he looked for the seeds, the right ones. He scattered the seeds in the right way, and then he waited for the rain. The patience had built in it action. That's why, again, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, 14, 15, again, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, 15, again, first negatively addressing the issue of uh, impatience and grumbling and division, but then moving to some action. He says this, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. It leads to action, and that is what we see from verses 13 to 20. All those, is any among you, blah, blah. Now, let me say this. Verses 13 to 20 are very, very challenging. I'm going to go through it. I may not always satisfy you, but I don't want you to miss one big thing. What is the big thing about the larger point of 13 to 20? This is how a harmonized, united, patient, and trusting community deals with some of its challenges. This is how a harmonized, united, patient, and trusting community deals with some of its challenges. I'm going to group them, these things into two. The first one is dealing with trouble and happiness. The second one is dealing with sickness and sinfulness. Trouble and happiness. Is any of verse 13, is any among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is any happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Now, don't misunderstand it. There are not two different circumstances. There are two different reactions to the same circumstance. The circumstance is the circumstance of difficulty, suffering. One person expresses itself, is, 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 and the, uh, the Greek word used for that trouble is many kinds of trouble. 
right? So one person is distressed, experiencing difficulty is a better translation. The other person is happy. Happy not because of the circumstance, but happy at the state of their emotion. Now, for the person who is experiencing difficulty, what are they asked to do? They are called to pray. Now, that prayer could be either, and I think this is how Christians are meant to pray when we are in trouble, is not one or the other, but both. Father, deliver me from this and give me the strength to endure or to persevere. Deliver me from this. Paul says, pray that we will be delivered. God has delivered us and he will continue to deliver us. But in that same context, Paul asks for comfort through the suffering. And most of what James has focused here on is the quality that comes through the strength that we develop or the strength that we receive to develop our character in suffering. But that's not the only way we have to pray. We can also pray for God's deliverance. So pray. For God to persevere, as we see in verse 11, and for the strength to persevere, but also to deliver from the circumstances. The second one is, maybe this is a more mature person. Or maybe this is, the person has gone through this thing before. So even though the person is going through a very difficult circumstance, the person is happy. Remember the uh, apostles? The first time they got flogged, everything had been going honky-dory since when Jesus had left them, poured out the Holy Spirit, they were healing, the fear of everyone about them gripped Fear of the, the people around them gripped uh, 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 them because of what they were doing. Then all of a sudden, they flogged them. I said they shouldn't speak in Jesus. And he said they went back rejoicing because they had been um, uh, counted worthy to suffer for the name. That was not, it wasn't a contradictory joy. It was, we follow a suffering savior. And so now, our suffering shows us that we are somehow united in him. Now, notice James does not say that if you are crying because of your suffering, you're a bad person. He says you should pray. He says if you are happy, you should sing songs of praise. Notice both, both conditions or both reactions, he takes you back to God. Either pray to him or sing songs of praise to him. If a community of God's people hinged on the gospel, if you truly want to flourish in unity and all that God has called us to be, we have to be a community of people who have God at the center. We have to be a community of people that pray regularly. We have to be a community of people that sing songs of praise so that we can meet the different reactions that different people are going through. Amen? Then the second thing is sickness and sinfulness. Verse 14, the sick, what do they need? The sick need collective prayers of the elders and congregation. Is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church to pray over them. But I said they also need the collective prayers of the congregation. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And then somebody says, what about anointing oil? Who wants to know what the anointing oil is about there? Right? Um, the letters supply, the, the, the anointing oil is coming, right? Please, for this summer, we know this summer is going to be tough. But we've already taken care of you guys. We have anointing oil. It's in a bottle. Oh, sorry. It's not, um, speak to uh, Jumoke. Jumoke is helping us with coconut anointing oil. Have you seen it? So that if you are sick at all, we will just... But if your sickness is so bad, the bottle may not be enough. You need a bucket, I'll be joking. Okay. Holy water. No, 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 water is too cheap. 
Um, oil. Now, on a more serious note, this is an issue. This is a big issue. This is not something that we are, many of us are not familiar with. We probably have come from a church or have been part of churches that, um, that have done this. And there are many, there have been many views about this in church. If you, if you take Roman Catholics, for instance, this is where you then get this right of anointing the sick, for instance, right? It's really coming from this passage. There are many views. I'm not going to go through that because that's not the main passage. Let me tell you what I think it is. The elders are meant to come, and the oil that they use is meant to be a symbolic expression of consecrating this person for healing. Many times in the Bible, oil, anointed oil, is used to consecrate someone. So you see that, particularly in the Old Testament, you see anointed, anointing for, for maybe serving as a priest or a king or all of those things. And so in that regard, the point of oil signifies some kind of consecration. Now, in this point, obviously, you are not anointing someone into an office. We've given, been given the context. The context is that this person needs to be healed. And maybe there is some connection there between the fact that oil used to be used for medicinal purposes. We also see that in Mark chapter 6. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Mark 6 verse 13. But I think the, 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 the thing there is that they want to pray for this person to be healed. And the putting of oil is a symbolic expression of the fact that this person has been consecrated for the prayer of healing of the saints. Now, with that in mind, look at the text again. And the verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. In other words, crucially, it is not the oil that heals the person. If it's a symbolic expression, then we can use other symbolic expressions. There is, this is not like the Lord's Supper, which is an instituted symbolic expression of a reality. This is not like baptism, which is an instituted symbolic expression of a particular reality. And even in those realities, baptism itself, going through the water, does not save you. In this regard, it's not the oil per se. The oil is symbolic of something. It is the prayer of faith that will be effective. Notice, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And it gives us the, 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 the example of Elijah. And many of us would think Elijah is so far away from us. But he's saying he's also a human being. And the spirit that was operating upon Elijah is the spirit that is in you. If we offer the prayer in faith, the person will be healed. And that's another, eh, really? We'll always be healed? No. We didn't say we'll always be healed. And in this point, you have to take the context of the New Testament. Paul himself prayed three times for a particular thing, deep, long intercession, and Paul wasn't healed. Paul himself left Trophimus uh, somewhere, traveled, and if Paul knew that, if Paul... I set my time earlier. Don't think it's now time to go. I'm not going anywhere. I'm still on my second point. If Paul cared for Trophimus, why didn't Paul just, and he knew that once I pray in faith, I always heal the person. Why couldn't he do that? No. Let me tell you what the prayer of faith is. The prayer of faith is not so much faith that God will do something, but that faith, you are, it's not faith in God to do something, it's faith Should I say it again? It's not so much faith that God will do something, but more a faith in God. Why? 
If you just express, here's the problem. If every time we pray for something to happen, and we pray in faith, it happens, for the thing to work out in the grand purpose of God, we not only need the faith to enable that to happen, we also need omniscient knowledge. Do you understand what I mean? That is, you need to be sure that this thing that I want to happen, even though it seems to be good now, in light of so many other larger things, this thing will be good. There are times, that some of us here, you will know, it was good that you did not get a 2-1. Because if you got a 2-1, you'll have gotten a certain kind of, okay, let me put it this way. Let me, let me even give you my own. I was still telling my wife recently, I said, and, and somebody else, I said, one of the best things that ever happened to me, I will not be standing here today, I am almost sure of it. One of the things that ever happened to me was that my parents refused to send me abroad for my first degree. I'm saying meal, right? My primary school, I was in top of the class. By the time I got to my secondary school, you know, I was, it was nice. Well, there was a certain kind of freedom, GS 1, 2, 3. In fact, by the time I, I think my, GS, my GSC, I didn't get anything below a credit, and everybody was looking at me like, ah, affirm you too. Ah, you know how to pass. I said, me. <laughs> so because I've just been playing like this, so my parents removed me from one secondary school, took me to another secondary school. I started doing very well there. <laughs> but at that point, you know, puberty now. Puberty one, two, I used to watch a lot of Western stuff, and I used to see what they used to do in schools, in uni. I said, I'm going there. <laughs> by the grace of God. I was still thinking by the grace of God, though. I knew there was only one thing on my mind. I wanted to pass, but you know, I can't say it on the pulpit. And that time, I did not like my parents for not allowing me to go. Today, I don't know, not only would I not have, I don't know whether I would not have been, I wouldn't have finished school, I'm sure about that one. I wouldn't have finished school. So many of my cousins are like that already. I wouldn't have finished school. I don't know whether I would have been doing drugs. In other words, at that point, my parents' knowledge about me and about life was more important than my own knowledge about my particular condition. Many times the thing that we want to pray for and we want God to do it for us, it does not fit into the larger purpose of God's good for our lives. So if you just have faith that God will do something and he, he needs to do it now, and that is always going to heal the sick, you're going to have a problem. But if you have faith in God, who sometimes does heal the sick because he has the power to heal the sick, that's why we should always pray for healing. But at the same time, also, that God, when he withholds his particular blessing from us, is because there's something larger. If you have faith in that kind of God, it will be effective in your life. And so if what you have to have faith is faith in God, that his will is always good for us. Now, also, those who like this kind of balanced approach, notice what it said. There is healing. Oh. That is, real prayer for sick people without going to the hospital, that they become healed. That happens. It said the prayer of faith will heal the sick. As long as the healing is in line with God's will, that person, if we offer a prayer of faith, it will heal that person. And then the other thing there is, uh, also, maybe I should quickly, this one's quickly. Sometimes you know that sin and sickness are linked. Now, it's not that often in scripture, but there are a few times, like 
those who were eating the communion in an unworthy manner. He said many are sick among you. And um, also remember um, the person, the paralytic that was brought to Jesus by his friends. Jesus Christ, in order to heal him, said your sins are forgiven. So there is a link sometimes. And that's why in this context he says, confess your sins one to another. Now one to another does not mean everybody. I hope you know. Uh, so if you have sinned, I'm not saying by saying confess your sins. Bible says confess your yeah, sins. Come, come, come out. Ah, you've told me that. Now you have to tell the church. Oh. You just have to tell the church. Confess your sins one to another. No, no, it's not saying that. Trustworthy people, fine. But again, I don't want us to take this thing overboard and now say every time somebody is ill, then that means there must be sin. And also, our balanced approach people is not saying that there's never a time that somebody is ill that it may not be attached to sin. Can we be balanced? Can we be really balanced? James wants us to be. And the final thing is, the sinner needs restoration. Verse 19 to 20. My brother and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, this is what it is, wandering away from the truth, the truth that all the truths, the foundation truth that James has tried to build all these actions on in this book. The um, uh, truth, and someone should bring that person back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. The death there is not physical death. Death there is eternal death. And basically it's saying the responsibility that we as a community should have when people wander from the truth. And listen, People, all the people sitting next to you here, some of them can wander from the truth. It has happened. It will continue to happen. Part of what it means to be a patient community is that when we see that happen, we don't immediately tell the person, you are going to hell. We should put ourselves in the kind of position that enables us to bring the person back. We shouldn't be overly reactive. We should try to bring that person back. Why? Because apostasy is a very serious thing. What is apostasy? It is when somebody who has their lives always lived as a Christian, not a genuine Christian, turns from the faith, they never will return again. That's what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 6, in chapter 6. It's a very serious thing. And we want to stop anyone from stumbling in that way. Now, as I said, it, these things look like all spurious things. No, but James is trying to say when we are patient and living in harmony with one another, these certain kinds of actions are the things that keep us united. If you feel a sense of frustration, pray. Speak through the right channels. But at the same time, let's continue doing what we need to do. When there's trouble in people's lives, let's take it to God. When people are happy, let's take it to God. When there are, sing when there are people who are sick, let us pray about it. Let's take it to God. When there are people who are sinning, let's use our mouths to restore them. How we use our mouths is really important. Let us not use it to grumble and therefore divide the community. Let us use it through the right channels to bring the community together. Amen? And then the final, um, the final point, the reason for patience. Now, if Toby, I said to Toby, I said, be patient. Be patient. Toby assumes two things. He assumes that this patience, this, uh, this, the patience that I'm telling him to exercise, it has a time limit. And at the end of the time, when the time limit has, when the time has expired, he's going to get something at the end, isn't it? Right? So if, a, two, if two people are engaged, 
You, you know why engagement, very, very long engagement is bad? You know why? Oh, yeah, men, listen up. Single men. You know why very long engagement is bad? Why men? Eh? What? Why men? Because we are, it's a man's world. <laughs> now I've offended the women. Anyway, why a long engagement is bad is because the person that has been proposed to is patiently waiting for something at the end. But when that thing at the end doesn't come, what happens? The wait is endless and endless and endless. Hope deferred is not a good thing. So if I come and I say, be patient, Shegun, immediately about a particular thing, Shegun thinks to himself, there is something at the end of this waiting, and therefore this waiting has a time, a time period that it's going to use to elapse. So James says, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. He puts the time there. You see, it's just like that farmer. The farmer is waiting, patiently waiting, for the rains in autumn and in spring. In the same way, if we now want to consider patience on a grander scale, why should we live in community together? And even though sometimes it's hard, even though sometimes the push is for us to grumble, why should we live together? What are we waiting for? We're waiting for Christ's return. Now, I, I, I always say this, and I'll keep saying it in City Church, and I hope others will hear it, is this. There is no such thing as Christianity without understanding Christianity in an, on an eternal scale. We're not dealing with just the time here and now, between now and when you die. It's always set on an eternal scale. That's how the early Christians thought. Listen to Paul again in Romans chapter 13. When he's telling people to love, to love neighbor, he says... Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And do this, verse 11, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Now, Paul was saved. He wasn't talking about his salvation, the status. He's talking about the culmination of salvation that comes when Jesus Christ returns. So are you living this way in light of eternity? Really? Go out on Sunday or Monday morning and everything. Do we live that way? I know what some of us are saying. I said, well, of course I can't live that way because <laughs> we'll be talking about Jesus Christ coming for a long time. He's been coming for a long time. If I knew exactly when Jesus was coming, I think I, if I knew two weeks left, two weeks left for Jesus to come, believe me, to affect me. So the question we must ask is, when is Jesus Christ coming? Who wants to know when Jesus is coming? Who wants to know when Jesus is coming? Don't lie. You want to know. Thank you, Ore. God bless you, Daniel. Yeah, me, yes. All right, bring out your calculators. Because <laughs> often that's the way it's always been calculated, isn't it? We go into certain kind of scriptural prophetic signs, and we start putting all of these dates. Every person that has tried to predict the coming of Jesus Christ has always failed. And most of the people that have engaged, they did not just fail. There were certain funny things that started happening in those communities. Now, there are many people who feel that the apostles, James, uh, even Jesus and, and Paul, they were wrong. This is why we can't fully believe the Bible. Why? Because 
Here it says that Jesus' is coming is near. Didn't you see it? Verse 9. Don't go up against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Or verse 8. You to be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. They say they thought he was going to come in their time. If Jesus did not come in their time, then they are not trustworthy. Now that's a serious charge. Don't just say, eh, no, 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 you don't really understand. Okay, I don't. Help me explain. I admit I don't understand, but I just know the Bible is true. No. The problem here, I actually don't think they are wrong. The problem here is in our perspective of understanding history. You see, you can understand time, history, through two, in two ways. One, chronos, the other one, kairos. That is, you can understand time through just normal duration, or another one through the sequence of events. What do I mean by that? If you attended our service, which is normally meant to be one and a half hours, and it's always exceeding one and a half hours, and then you went to another fantastic community, Pentecostal church, and those guys' service is like for four hours. You would think that the latter one is long, isn't it? And when you start that four-hour service, immediately you start. You never say the end is near, is it? Like, hey, it started the four hours. It's not near. However, let's say you are going to that Pentecostal church that is four hours normally. You're a regular attendee of the church. And... Before you went on Sunday, on Monday, that guy that you are beginning to like sent you a text that it would be nice for you guys to have lunch on Sunday. You are dating, right? It would be nice for you to have lunch on Sunday. Monday, Monday before Monday, feel like this Monday cannot even finish. And yet there's Tuesday. I'm still going to work on Tuesday, Wednesday. You have to go for midweek meeting. Then after that, you still have to do your report on Thursday. On Friday, there is fellowship in the office. All of those things. Saturday, you have to do your groceries. Sunday comes. Remember, it's lunch. Sunday comes. Yes, the service may seem long. But if you take the sequence of events from Monday, Monday, remember what I said, going to work, midweek meeting, grocery shopping, all of those things. What is the next event before the date? What is it? In that regard, when you enter into the church service, the time of your date is near. You see, God's redemptive history is a sequence of events. We are not giving the duration and the time of those events. Creation of man, the fall. Abraham's call. Israel's establishment. David's covenant. Israel's return from exile. Jesus' first coming. Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus' ascension. And then, what is the next event before God renews the world? Jesus' return. In that regard, because we are in the last days, in fact, he said when Jesus ascended and he poured out the Holy Spirit, Peter said, the last days have what? Begun. I will pour out my spirit on, I will pour out my spirit upon, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. In other words, these are the last days because this is the penultimate event before Christ comes. And because we don't know how long this is, his coming is near. It's near in terms of sequence of events, but it's also near in terms of we cannot predict. Jesus in Mark 13, 
Verse 32 says that even me, me, I don't even know. If Jesus doesn't know, how will your calculator get it for you? He said it's only the Father. And so on the one hand, the early Christians and the early apostles always lived with the consciousness that he can come tomorrow. On the other hand, the same Paul that lived with the consciousness that he can come tomorrow could tell Timothy, the things you've learned of me commit to faithful men who, are, who shall be able to commit it to others also. He was planning for three generations after him. So on the one hand, you, Rumi, you must always be in light of the fact that our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Guess what? Jesus' returning is closer today than it was yesterday. And he can come at any time. Believe me, he can come at any time. And he's saying, because he can come at any time and what he's bringing, be patient with one another. The same patience that you are extending towards him, Lord, come and renew this world. Extend it to one another. What is he going to do? He's going to give us a new body. He's going to give us a new world. This is the hope of the church. And as if those are not enough, we are going to live with God forever. All our desires, all our satisfaction, all our desires will be satisfied. All the things, the longings that we're looking for will be fulfilled in, in, in Christ's return. And he will also pay for every disobedience. And that's why, as I close, the writer of Hebrews, I think, summarizes this whole passage very carefully. How is it that we are going to live in good works with one another? How are we going to support one another? Listen to what it says. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging. Patience encourages. Encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Those are the parting words of an apostle and brother of Jesus Christ. For us to be united, we have to live in light of eternity. We have to be careful with our speech. We have to be careful with what suffering does to us. Let it not make us hard, but let it make us more mature. We have to be careful with how we live with one another. Not censor our speech, but always express it in a Christ-like way. Why? Because the judge is at the door. The judge is at the door. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of James. We thank you for seeing how the gospel helps us in community and it goes down to the practical aspects of all the things that we do. Father, I pray that City Church, we strive to be a church that is centered on the gospel. Help us to be patient with one another. Help us to do it in a way that exalts you and that also shows that we are anticipating your return. We ask all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.